0: This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content.
1: I regret to inform you, you're on Chapel Probation, a podcast that takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities. I'm your host, Scott Okamoto. greetings reprobates okay confession time in my book asian american apostate losing religion and finding myself at an evangelical university i write about being involved with the underground lgbtqia group at azusa pacific they trusted me to be a listening ear and a support for their events and meetings there were ups and downs um And a bunch of the queer Christian kids didn't like me because I begged them to remain underground instead of coming out to the school where they wanted to demand their rightful place in the student life programs. But to me, it was a sure way to be monitored and controlled. The same way the school clamped down on the multi-ethnic programs, We had become heavily censored and watched carefully, lest we try to advocate for social justice and cultural change to include all people in policies and perspective. So when I left APU, I heard about how Haven, the underground queer group, was continuing its efforts to become an official school organization, and I I was worried. More recently, I learned about Aaron Green and Paul Southwick's organization called the Religious Exemption Accountability Project. And again, I had doubts. I, I didn't have doubts in the motivations and the activities of REAP, but I had doubts about the value of trying to make change in evangelical culture. It's a culture that criminalizes all sexuality outside of hetero marriage and it goes out of its way to demonize queer people. But the more I read about REAP and its work, the more I understood the mission. While it did support the students coming out to their shitty evangelical schools, it was mostly using the law to hold those schools accountable. Screw those exemptions. Yeah, hell yeah. And then I met Aaron Green on Twitter and I realized I had interacted with Paul Southwick on a Facebook group that supported uh, the APU LGBTQIA students. So it was kind of a full circle moment for me to have Aaron and Paul come on to chapel probation and it was just a tremendous honor to be able to talk to them and hear their stories.
0: My name is Erin Green. My pronouns are she, they. I am the program manager for campus and alumni organizing at REAP. Um, I went to Biola University for a year, transferred to Azusa Pacific University, graduated with my bachelor's degree in biblical studies, and then immediately went off to seminary um, in the Bay Area. But while I was at Biola and APU, I led the queer underground slash overground movements, mostly at Biola though. But that's sort of my history at Christian colleges.
1: Yeah. I have many questions there.
0: Sure. Yeah. Uh,
2: Yeah. Paul? I'm Paul Southwick, and I'm the director of the Religious Exemption Accountability Project. I use he, him pronouns. I was homeschooled, so I was home educated for most of my life, and then went on to George Fox University, which is an evangelical Quaker, not the regular Quaker, evangelical Quaker institution. Uh, I studied politics and history, and then I went on to University of Michigan for law school, and uh, then came back to Oregon, where I live now.
1: All right, we got a lot... Lot of schools to cover. Um I don't know much about George Fox. I've been there. I went there to a conference there once. It's a lovely hmm. campus.
2: Yeah. They usually are. Um, I
1: don't know, APU is kind of Yeah. If it, it feels like a business building or Uh-oh. something. Like that. Mm-hmm. Um and is kind of just like a parking lot next to like Disneyland or something, right? It's like
0: uh, that's what it feels like. It's very um, aesthetically. Pleasing at Biola. I think that's that's one of the ways they, they hook ya. You know.
1: That huge is that huge ass Jesus still there? Uh,
0: <laughs> the huge ass uh, Jesus. Yes. Um, the Jesus wall. Yes. And I think they've painted his skin different colors over time. It started out very pale and then I think yeah. it got darker over the years. <laughs>
1: Well, it's Southern California it could just be, it, a could can. be
0: the, it. Could be the sun. It could be can
1: the sun. Jesus. It's surfer, bro, Jesus.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay, all right. So let, let's start with Biola, since we're talking about that. Um, what attracted, like, so you, if you start at Biola, you're, you're, were you kind of an on fire Christian type then?
0: No, so I, I did everything oh. backwards. I so I had a career before I went back to school. I resigned, went to Uh, community college for two years decided that I wanted to I and at that point I had come out and was you know openly queer and affirming and I wanted to major in biblical studies because I wanted to turn the tables on the narrative that was being taught to my community um, in the church and all those things so I actually googled (laughs) which Christian colleges already had a queer movement happening on campus. And Biola had one of the biggest ones, the, the Biola Queer Underground. Um, so I, I decided that's what I'm going to do. I got in touch with the executive director at the time and was like, Hey, I'm so stoked to be here. I'm you know in, in the group and kind of getting to know them a little bit. And they dropped this information on me that, Hey, we're moving. Um and we think you would be a great next executive director <laughs> and I was just like what? So I was looking for community, you know, not expecting to lead the community. But I said yes.
1: What what year was this? This was
0: in 2015. Okay. So, I said yes, I'll do it and I did it and it was amazing and that's what really sort of set things off on my path. Of activism.
1: I'm guessing you were not well received by
0: oh, most
1: of Biola.
0: <laughs> no, the first—it's <laughs> <laughs> funny. The first—you
1: just fit right into the culture, yeah, right? I did not. Openly queer. Uh,
0: uh, my professors were not fans, especially since I was in the theology department, um, and I—I I was oh. out and open and vocal. The first protest we held on campus, the um, communications director came outside to talk to me because I was leading the protest, and she was shaking. She was so scared. She was visibly shaking. Um, Then another point, I...
1: Terrifying for her.
0: She was terrified. And I realized at that point, (laughs) I'm like, we actually have a lot of power, you know? This is actually kind of a good (laughs) Mm. thing. Um, I... I don't know if you know who uh, Scott McDowell, uh, or is that his name, Scott McDowell? He's an apologetics professor there. He was throwing a seminar on homosexuality, clarity and compassion, air quotes. I registered for it and they shut down registration because they thought that I was coming, the bad guy was coming to disrupt the entire thing. But really, I just wanted to watch.
2: Watch out. Aaron, uh, the non-binary oracle, it's coming.
0: I know. So <laughs> they, yes, I was not well received, Scott.
1: It was probably a good call on their part to.
0: Yeah. Yes. So yeah. they're not fans <laughs> of me at all. Over there.
1: Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, clearly, transferring
0: was underway. Is,
1: it, is Scott McDowell related to Josh McDowell? Yes, that's his son. Okay. Yes, please. I read, I read that book. That's one of the few Christian books I actually read cover to cover. Evidence that demands Most a verdict. Books, yeah.
0: Yeah, I that, did too. The
1: wristwatch shit. That stupid analogy. Um. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Oof.
0: Yep, I have it in my uh, bookshelf still. So.
1: Quite a quite a pedigree there. Um, and then so th- you go to APU, which is, um, Haven was was, uh, trying to come out. Mm-hmm. And full disclosure, I was completely against them coming out. Scott, um, because I was there at the beginning of Haven. Well, because I knew they were going to get shit on. It was, uh, it was like it's it's not going to go well for you. <laughs> it's gonna it. I yeah. the way I saw it, and they kicked me out for a little while because of this. <laughs> told me I was too old and didn't have any faith. And there was both were true. <laughs> um, but um, my, the way I saw it. We had, they had, they, I didn't do much, just helped them a little. But they had established this beautiful underground community with so much support and networking with people like at Biola. And I had, I hooked them up with some people at UCLA and USC. And they they had carte blanche. They could program whatever they wanted. They could talk about whatever they wanted. They could bring in people, whoever they wanted. And I knew if the school got involved, that would be all over Mm -hmm. because they had already locked down all the ethnic orgs. The the ethnic orgs couldn't do anything without pre-approval. And I didn't want that to happen to, to Haven. So I was like, it's but they're like but we see we'll we'll pray and we'll we'll convince them to then they'll yeah. accept us i'm like no but they won't <laughs> and that's and so yeah. yeah that's
0: precisely what ended up happening to that group yeah. um you're right scott like a lot of times you know these schools will kind of come under the guise of like or the banner of of you know compassion and we want to talk to you we want to have discussions with you we love you we care about our community here But really what they want is they don't want an underground subversive group doing its subversive things on campus. They want to have complete control over that entire process, you know, Um, and that's exactly what happened at APU and it happens all the time. Um, So staying underground is actually safer in a lot of ways to keep the integrity of the group.
1: Yeah, I, I thought so eventually the next generation and I we made up and it was it was fine but when i left i left in 2013 i begged them like don't don't pursue this coming be official club stuff cuz like i said, it's like bsa is locked down losses locked down apaso locked down can't do anything without approval so you can't bring in anything remotely controversial
0: yeah.
1: um and their very existence is controversial at a at a places like APU. so it's like it's not gonna go well but i watched from afar and i remember seeing your name um and some of the i was part of that facebook group the alumni supporters or alumni lgbt and i think that's where i met paul
0: yeah. oh cool um, that's great
1: i remember was that you <laughs> we interacted on a thread or two um
2: yeah, I was uh, a yeah. I was invited into that group for a little bit. Yeah. So,
1: all right. So, APU not much better than Biola, right? For your experience.
0: <laughs> I mean, it seemed better. Be- the my professors were affirming. Uh, um, most of them were.
1: They they were they were there, yeah. especially in biblical studies. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that that felt really nice. Like I felt like I could I could actually finish my degree well which is something that i wanted to do i you know that was why i was paying tuition um but negotiations with administration you know i really tried hard to get the ban on same-sex relationships removed and that was my whole thing while i was there i i was just insistent upon removing it because it, it just it was so silly like i didn't even need a theological argument It's just like you don't hold heterosexual peers up to these same standards you know as you do to queer folk and that's not okay everybody sees it it's glaringly obvious so they quietly removed the policy they just took it yep. out of the handbook yeah we when i was working for brave commons we promoted the hell out of the fact that they we celebrated yeah.
1: you know oh so you guys blew the whistle we blew the it.
0: whistle on it and it actually just dis- really disrupted they put it back they put it back into the ham yeah
1: it was like a couple weeks a Couple later. weeks
0: later and and we were like no <laughs> no no, no. <laughs> then the students rallied and had this beautiful protest it was in the los Angeles yeah, Times. it was gorgeous yeah. Then I think they did end up removing it some yeah. um
1: quietly again. But
0: it's back. <laughs> it's yeah, back again. I was gonna say
1: I think I think it's back. So
0: it's that funny little policy, you know, that just yeah. But that's that was my experience there. And that was what I was really heavily focused on was getting that policy removed.
1: Yeah. So that's gonna be kind of a harbinger of a lot. I think a lot of the stories you're gonna tell is reap. Um but let's let's talk about uh, homeschooling. So Paul, most I read 80 percent of homeschool curriculums are like fundamentalist Christian. Is so were you did you get one of those? <laughs> a Becca or one of those uh...
2: Yeah, I got I got multiple of those. Uh a becca, let's see, Bob Jones University.
1: Oh Jesus! Um, Yeah,
2: I guess Saxton math, but I don't know. I don't remember them making math too much about fundamentalist (laughs) Christianity. Um, But yes, a lot of it.
1: And uh, so your family was a fundamentalist Christian then, or were or were 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 they? Because a lot of a lot of families actually just signed up for these curriculum curricula curricula and uh, don't even know that it's. so religious, and it's rewriting history. And um, so, your your parents knew.
2: Well, my, I thought about this because I uh, started looking back at my some of the curriculum that I I've kept over the years, and talking to my mom about it now. I, I don't think that they fully knew. Um, mm. You know, they were evangelical, but they were like hippies. Mm. Like they got they got swept up in the seventies into evangelicalism, and I think they found it to be. You know, give them a lot of peace because they had very they had a lot of turmoil in their childhoods, and so it gave them a lot of peace and security. I think the problem happened, especially when we moved out to the country. So we moved into the rural Oregon, and that's mm. when it it went you know pretty hardcore. Um, and I don't I don't think they knew exactly how hardcore.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Because at that point you and have then, these little like cells of homeschooling communities, and nice. they enforce strictly a lot of norms, and um, and you have certain male religious leaders who will mandate things during youth group that I don't think the parents know about. And...
1: Oh, like like what? Like,
2: like courtship requirements. Oh, okay. Like parental yeah. consent to dating like dowries, all sorts of interesting. Um, and wow. a lot of activism was going on too. Pro-life activism was was really, yeah. really big yeah. for us.
1: What's a, what's a modern-day dowry? <laughs> I'm assuming it's not cows and <laughs> livestock. Yeah. Cold hard it? cash, it's in, it's... Scott.
2: It's money. Oh, okay, yeah. so a chunk of money. Yeah. The men have to put up the money to take care of the women who are essentially their property. Bought at a price. Oh. Right, right.
1: Okay. I'm kinda of disappointed it wasn't cows now.
2: I know. Yeah. I, would... <laughs> I had cows. I could have given a cow. I had more cows than money. Back I was gonna then. say, 'cause
1: you're in you're in rural Oregon, is it? Yeah. So
2: Yeah. Christmas hmm. trees, cows, chickens, hay, horses.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's very beautiful there to have driven through. It is. All right. It. So, so you, how, how do you get from these? Pl- Did you go to Christian college too? Oh, you went to George Fox. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Talk George about Fox. that. So yeah. what's, so I don't know, like I said, I know Biola and I know APU, unfortunately. um, What's, and you've probably heard all the stories. So is, is George Fox similar in all the ways, like a required chapel, purity culture, Yes. pretty white, white, white nationalist uh, in its, in its vibe?
2: Yes, uh, a lot of people think it might be different because it's a Quaker institution, which we generally right. associate with really progressive, uh, humanistic and values. It's a wine country, and it is. It's in wine country, but it was a dry campus for everybody while I was there, including Oof. for faculty. Um, That's just cruel. Yeah, yeah, they changed that because the wine got too good, so they did change that for yeah. faculty.
1: The Willamette Valley makes some of the finest Pinot Noir in.
2: Look at you also a wine aficionado yes it yeah. does i
1: mean i'll drink two buck chuck but i uh, <laughs> i like wine I, I, i'm not much of a drinker but so but yeah anyway sorry yeah. <laughs> george Fox, so it's yeah. a it's
2: a it's a quaker school but it's evangelical quaker so it's part of a yearly meeting that is run by people who are the same crowd as apu and biola very yeah. similar crowd
1: yeah, no, you, you stick the word evangelical on anything, it kind of fucks it up. It's kind of, it kind of ruins it. Yeah. Just, you just, yeah. Um, so, so all four years, what did you major? You said political science?
2: Yeah, I was there three years. Um, and then I taught for a year. I was in the politics and history departments. And... You know, I wanted to go there. This this was a bit earlier than Aaron. Yeah, I was there. I was going to ask
1: if you were religious at the time. Yeah, yeah.
2: I was very very devout, um, and I was definitely a fundamentalist um, and very politically motivated uh, for the religious right. So I wanted oh. to go to a Christian college. Um, yeah. But my parents also said, you know, you have to pick one. Um, I remember doing really well on my SAT, so I was like getting recruited by all these elite schools, oh, and it was just like in I the know. trash. That, George Fox
1: that ended up being a waste yeah. all the
2: way, I know some regrets, but um, yeah, it was really horrible while I was there. I think it's better now um as you know, as far as these schools are getting somewhat better, but I was sent to conversion therapy for two years. I was told Oof. that I was battling Satan. I suffered panic attacks, I had to be hospitalized for those. it was its probably the yeah, definitely the darkest uh, period of my life was. Um, was there it was a really hostile environment yep. yeah i'm so sorry to hear that
1: That's, yeah i can't i can't even imagine
2: it's weird it's like you know um, those abusive environments they're also so warm and loving which makes it that makes the yeah, tough toss- on the outside yeah well yeah. even on the inside like until i came out right it was oh, a right. loving warm family everyone knew each other yeah, I had mentors. I felt a part of something important and beautiful. But once you transgress, then it's it's scary.
1: And I'm assuming there was no um, LGBTQIA club underground or otherwise. Nothing. To, to, to
2: be supportive. Absolutely nothing. Nothing underground, nothing overground. So it wasn't until much later after I graduated and came out myself, which was in 2000. Yeah. I think it came out in 2009. Um, then I started finding people uh, through Facebook who were also gay and went to my school. And that's how I got involved in activism at George Fox. And so I started an alumni group uh, called One George Fox, which we modeled after groups popping up at Wheaton and Biola called itself something different. but. Um, a lot of groups were popping up around like 2011,
1: 2012. Wow. Every week I ask my guest or guests if they were all in and on fire Christians when they got to their Christian schools. And I don't think I've ever had a guest like Aaron Green, who went to Biola and Azusa um, as openly queer, um, partly for her education and Partly to just fuck shit up. (laughs) That's kind of awesome. Paul's story is more common as someone who went to George Fox in good faith, so to speak, and seemed to fit right in. But after some hardcore deconstruction, Paul joined forces with Aaron and Reap is now a force to be reckoned with. Christian schools, like churches, get so many exemptions that allow them to break the law, basically particularly Title IX regulations that are there to guarantee equal treatment for all people. So Christian schools can claim that their religion allows them to literally criminalize a person's identity if that person is queer, a woman, or anyone deemed to be against their values. Until REAP came along, these exemptions were never challenged, legally or culturally, outside of a few minor revolutions Solutions on campus. Um, you can read about one of them at Azusa Pacific in my book. It was pretty epic. But now, now, Reap is kicking some serious ass.
0: Then I think she endures
2: verbal abuse for a season, and she endures perhaps being smacked
0: one night, and then she seeks help from the church. There is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus, (laughs) and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. There's nothing holy about writing discrimination into the law, and I am tired of communities of faith being weaponized because the only time religious freedom is invoked is in the name of bigotry and discrimination. I'm tired of
2: it.
3: Hi, I'm Nate, producer and co-host on the Full Mutuality Podcast. Let's talk about inequality. It's everywhere. Whether it's rooted in race, gender, ability, or sexuality, there's bound to be an imbalance in power, influence, representation, and access. On our show, we want to explore areas of religion, culture, and society where justice is needed in order to bring about true mutuality. I hope you'll join us for some enlightening, fun, and at times uncomfortable conversations as we envision a world where everyone can live free from systems and structures that keep us from being truly equal. You can find us on your favorite podcast app or visit our website, fullmutuality.com, to find a list of all the platforms we're available on. Subscribe today and we'll see you on the Full Mutuality Podcast. Hey everyone, I'm Nate from the Full Mutuality Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into this show. We're so grateful that you've decided to spend your time with us. Seriously, Dan, Gail, Jessica, Kathleen, Scott, and the rest of us here at the Dauntless Media Collective couldn't produce content like the show you're listening to without your support. I'd also like to invite you even further into the conversation. Right now, there are some great discussions happening over in the Dauntless Media Collective Discord server. If you're interested in chatting with other folks who are deconstructing and decolonizing the oppressive traditions that they came from, please feel free to hop on into the server. If you don't know what Discord is, it's a place where communities can gather online for chatting on a wide variety of topics. In our Discord server, we have channels devoted to general deconstruction conversations, some meme sharing, therapeutic venting about whatever religious bullshit you're currently dealing with, and even a channel specifically devoted to talking about the latest episodes of the podcast you're listening to right now. I hope you'll join us. You can log in directly to the Dauntless server by clicking the link in the show notes, or heading to Dauntless.fm and clicking the link in the top banner. See you there. Your your
1: story is more of the common one that we have on Chapel Probation. Not, I don't know many people like Aaron that would just go to a place. I mean, you went to get an education, but you were there to fuck some shit up. It that's that's I like was ready. kind of. I was. That's kind of mm, badass. I,
0: yeah, ugh. I um, so like. Paul, I grew up in a very fundamentalist, fundamentalistic evangelical home. Um, Knew I was gay from or queer from a really early age, but like held it internally, didn't have the language for it. Um, Really, um, like Paul, suffered severe panic attacks in my 20s, didn't know what the heck it was coming from. You know, and then finally, I I realized, you know, it's because I hate myself. <laughs> um, this is mm-hmm. this is what I've been taught to hate myself to internalize this hatred. Um, so, yeah, I really was hell bent. Should I say hell bent on
1: heaven bent? <laughs> I was
0: heaven bent <laughs> on helping people like me. Not have to go through what I went through um, because I, I went back to school at a later age. I'm I was in my 30s before I went to Biola, so I had a I had a life experience, you know, a, a lot of life under my belt. And college students don't have that yet. They're discovering that when they're there. Um, so I yeah, I went there to to fuck shit up. I'm not mad about
1: yeah, it. Fuck and, shit up she did. And look what you're doing now.
0: Still doing it.
1: Yeah. And you're still Still
0: doing it, Scott.
1: <laughs> and 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 I, you know, I'm so glad you you are. Cuz a lot of us who like I I fought the good fight for a while. People were telling me I should get out years before I did. But I stayed partly for the Asian club that I had to help start that was dying. And partly for the Haven kids. So if if not for them, I would have left a long time ago. But I kept being told that there's no, there are so few faculty and people who represent the school that are supportive, and so I felt like it was honorable work. And then when I left, I did feel guilty. I was like, I'm abandon, am I abandoning, you know, the cause? Um, I
0: think um, part of that is the programming we go through, though, right? Like when we leave the yeah. church too. There's this guilt. I had that guilt of like, is it okay? I for didn't me? have guilt. Oh actually. really? I. Oh my
1: god. I was just really glad I had my Sundays. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, that, that kind I, of right, overrode right. any uh, lingering it. guilt for, for me. But, <laughs> but yeah, I know what you're saying. It's any leaving anything. It's it's fraught with lots of yeah. emotions. So, um, but yeah, knowing that when I found out about Reap, I I think it was just before the pandemic. Yeah. When did you start? When did Reap start? Well, let's talk about that. Let's stop. I should shut up. Like, Paul, did you start it?
2: Yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, I've been wanting to do something like Reap for a long time, and there were different iterations of this. Um, do you remember Safety Net at all, Scott? I feel like you came in contact with Safety Net.
1: If, yeah, it sounds familiar. Yeah.
2: Honestly. Remember exactly. Safety Net was maybe like. 2012 or 13. And so some of us from different schools, um, including people from APU, we tried to get together to put like an umbrella organization together. Um, But it fell apart after a year as these things kind of do because they're hard. And then Aaron continued with Brave Commons doing a version of it there. Um, And in 2020, I had the opportunity to kind of change my career and focus on this stuff full-time. I'd been doing it part-time in a more like a pro bono type capacity through my law firm for about 10 years. And so at the end of 2020, I dove into it full-time, and then I worked behind the scenes for about six months, and then we officially came out publicly in March of 2021. Okay. So we're a little over two years at this point.
1: Right, right, right. Um, and I forgot to ask, when you went to, I meant to ask, when you went to law school, were you just in awe of the difference in academic culture <laughs> between f- George Fox and and which law yeah. school did you go to?
2: Uh, University oh. of Michigan Law School.
1: Yeah, okay. A pretty big school. So yeah, was that weird? Was that, was that, was it great? <laughs> I was
2: weird. You know, like I didn't realize how weird yeah. I was. <laughs> I ended oh. up hanging out with these, um students who were foreign students from Bulgaria, I think because they also felt weird and out of place. And so <laughs> the Bulgarians and I, we got referred to and as the, the East.
1: George Fox alums yeah. and the Bulgarians.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: Kindred spirits.
2: They called us the Eastern Bloc. And I, <laughs> I'm i not sure if it was a term of endearment or an insult, but for that's who we were. And yeah, it was Especially amazing. George it Fox
1: was... is as west as you can get. So. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah it didn't make sense directionally, I suppose. (laughs) Um, But while I was there, nobody had heard of George Fox, of course, small little liberal arts school, until my first semester, I'm sitting in class and student turns over to me and like, hey, didn't you go to that school? Because we were in the news, because some of our white students, they made um, an effigy of Barack Obama and they hung him on campus, which made national news. For all the wrong reasons um, that the schools make the national news, so then I was known as that guy, which wasn't any better.
1: <laughs> oh God, yeah. But yeah, but different world. Did, did you were you able to were you changing too then during law school? Were you sort of revisioning your identity and your life and your yeah trajectory?
2: Yeah, I met a a pastor of a Presbyterian church who was sort of like a good safe landing point for me there. Um, very nice man, and I remember he t- he was the first pastor who told me I could have sex. As long as there was consent and communication, that's what God cared about. And he was the first pastor that didn't make me feel bad about being or having gay feelings. At that time, I wouldn't have said I was gay, but having gay feelings. Um, so, yeah, I was coming out of my evangelicalism then, and um, but, you know, my brain was pretty much hardwired real real hard so it didn't, didn't didn't go lightly
1: yeah it's a long process for for most people I think to um and we, I think we talked about this before on this podcast it, no matter how much we deconstruct and I don't know if you can never fully hundred percent um everything everything even enjoying my Sundays is still in contrast to the previous life you know so mm-hmm. the the fact that I enjoy my Sundays and make waffles and enjoy my coffee and, you know, I used to read the paper. They used to have these things called newspapers for all the, the <laughs> Gen Zers. Um, I just, it, I, to this day, every Sunday, I wake up happy that I don't have to go to church. And so that's like a positive <laughs> thing. Um, um, so you didn't like church. In, I love I
2: really church. didn't. I that.
1: I really hated it. <laughs> oh, I hated, I hated
0: it, it too, Scott. I hated it so okay. much.
1: You pay. I like the worship. I like. I'm a music. I'm a musician, so I like singing, and I liked when there was like worship uh, music. I liked. I liked the announcements. I liked putting money in the plate, but as soon as some blowhard got up there and just started yapping for forty minutes, uh, you lost me. I'm like, uh, yeah.
0: And it's too long. Evangelical church services <laughs> are too long. They need to learn something from the Presbyterians. <laughs> And other denominations who cut it off at like thirty minutes, twenty minutes.
1: Well, I, I just interviewed someone who was Assemblies of God, and 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 Black Church can go all day. So like, so it's kind of in the it's middle. Uh, the evangelical it it's too long because it sucks. It's, it's
0: too long <laughs> because it sucks. It's so true.
1: Five minutes would be too
0: long. <laughs> oh my god.
1: Um, yeah. So. So, so yeah, we're getting Paul through law school now, and so by the time you were done, we, we we did you see yourself deconstructing everything?
2: Yeah. So my my first summer job after my first year of law school, I worked for the Alliance Defending Freedom. Have you heard of them? The big right wing legal organization. Yeah, to say
1: that sounds like one of those conservative deals. Yeah,
2: it's a big right. So that was your first job. Or- that was my first job because I was still in it. You know, I was yeah, of course. I was conflicted, okay. but I was still in it, and I did it, and I yeah. went through. But um, it was wow. actually while I was there, I, you know, they they had speakers come in and talk about how gay people shouldn't even be allowed to adopt children, um, how Muslims were like mosquitoes that needed to be exterminated, yeah. and yeah. by the end of it, I just, mm. I actually had a, another a breakdown and I, I called a crisis line and this beautiful woman showed up in a van and I like hopped out (laughs) and hopped into her van and she told me it was okay to be gay and she prayed and cried with me. And at that point I went back in and I said, I'm, I'm done. And I, I broke up with the religious right at that time. And then, um, and then I graduated from law school and Started working at a corporate law firm. Didn't know what the hell life was about anymore for a while.
1: Oh, okay, you you got you got paid though at a corporate got money. Yeah, uh, I did. Well, yeah, so that's good. Yeah, it's like a something. Oh, <laughs> uh, so how long did you do that? About ten years. Okay. So now reap you. What? What was? Was there a? Was there an event or a, a news? You know, like the the George Fox thing or um, a student group. Was it Aaron? Um, What made you start it?
0: I'm not that cool. It wasn't me.
2: No, you are that cool. If I knew you were this cool, then it would have been you, Aaron. (laughs) It would have been because of (laughs) me. Aaron is so cool. I mean. I know. I mean, i I I of both of of things. I try. (laughs) And it's not just the beanie and dad hats either. Thank um, you,
0: Paul. Yeah, I, <laughs> I wear beanies and dad hats every day.
1: What's a, what's a dad hat? A
0: dad hat is just like a a hat that, you know, a 45-year-old guy would wear. Like, that's me. It's a baseball. It's a little baseball. It's baseball Okay, a baseball hat. cap.
1: Like a trucker hat?
0: Yeah, actually, I have a dad hat that has a picture of a dad hat on it. So it's got Ooh. a dad hat with a dad hat. It's one anyway, of my favorites. I do. Yeah. All right. Going back oh. to rape, sorry. It
2: wasn't Aaron, oh, yeah. though I knew of Aaron and Aaron's work, and we we connected pretty quickly after. Um, but, you know, when I was at the law firm for 10 years, I was doing pro bono work, and I was helping a transgender student at um, uh-huh. California Baptist, and I was helping mm. queer and trans students at different, different outbreaks <laughs> across the country. And once I did a case that got in the news, then everyone just, like, funneled people to me i was sort of like the underground queer christian college lawyer (laughs) um and it wasn't getting any better scott the schools weren't getting better the country was getting better we're getting same-sex marriage wow we're getting all these new riots and more people are coming out but it was often getting worse at the school yeah and so i i i reached a point where i had the the financial capacity and the personal time to say, I'm going to jump into this whole time. And um, and that's kind of what started it. it was like, this is not getting better, it's getting worse. And somebody needs to step in because these kids, they're doing to, what they did to me and they almost killed me. They are still doing. And that's why we're doing the work that we're doing, is to stop that from happening. And when did Aaron join?
1: join up, join forces.
0: I joined just what, about three months after I think the Hunter lawsuit was um, publicized. Uh, the, the lawsuit that reap had filed um, against the department of education. So yeah, I've, you know, fresh out of seminary and actually my housemate was like, you should, cause I've had talked about Paul. I like, Paul knew about me. Well, I knew about him. I knew he was the only person, the only safe person, like, doing this work on behalf of students because nobody, like, it's really hard to get people to care about this cause, you know? Mm-hmm. But Paul was one of the only people, like, who, who I knew really cared about this cause. So my, I was talking to my housemate about it, and my housemate was like, well, you should, you know, get in touch with Paul and ask him if there's anything open at Reap." And I'm like, no, I was too scared. <laughs> were you? I was too scared. But then I Aww. finally just went for it. I'm like, I emailed Paul or something like that, got in touch with him, and it was all downhill from there. And it's, it was like, yeah. you know, here we are. Now we're combined forces. Um, and it feels really good. Feels, feels right, you know?
1: Yeah. I was researching your website. To write an article um, about APU's uh, struggles with the accreditation currently happening, they're on probation. Now, maybe you guys can explain to me. The, so, everyone always asks me how do how do these schools get away with so much discrimination? And and I'm pretty sure it's just the the religious exemptions uh, for Title IX, right? So that that allows them to have, you know, on the books very. Discriminatory rules and, and you know, uh, things that the students have to f- code of conduct um, that you can't, you could never do at other in other places. So, is that what? Is there a number of exemptions, or is it, just, is it just like a blanket exemption they get?
2: Well, the Title IX religious exemption is one of the the biggest and broadest exemptions that they can get, and okay. they used to get it, it, it. It's been around since Title IX started. Um, But the reason they got that exemption is because the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits racial discrimination, did not have a religious exemption, and they resented that. And so they organized and they lobbied and they made sure any future federal civil rights statute would have a religious exemption so that the government could never tell them to do what they didn't want to do again. And so even the Americans with Disabilities Act has a religious exemption. Uh, The Fair Housing Act has a religious exemption. The employment protections have a religious exemption. Union organizing and bargaining has a religious exemption, which is why you don't get much protection as a faculty there. So they, it's more sinister than just, oh, they have a religious exemption. It's really rooted in anti-black racism, and they vowed to never let the federal government tell them what to do again. So they have that, and then they embarked on a decades-long plan of getting their people in the accreditation agencies. So now you look at all the accreditation agencies, it's full of APU professors, and they're all chummy with the people over at UCLA, and they just treat each other like they're co-equals. And so, of course, the accreditor is not going to take any action. You are the accreditor now. Yeah. Oof. That's the scary spot we're in.
1: But is something changing now? Because when I was there, there was no haven. There was I mean, there was no official haven. The school did nothing to protect students. And they always passed with flying colors their accreditation. And now they're they're on they're in deep shit right now. What are they in um, probation? For a lot for? of reasons. Yeah. I'm not aware. Oh yeah. Tell there's it. an article coming out oh. that I'm writing. But it's it's oh, all okay. on their website. They, oh, had, okay. they, had, to, they had they had put they, it. There. There's a wasp <laughs> there's a WASC report Wasc, yeah. that they're They have two years to fix their financial problems, which (laughs) Ah. probably won't happen. Um, But it mentions the campus climate. It mentions um, marginalized groups and the board of trustees. It gets dinged left and right for meddling with academics and, and campus climate. Um, And so they have to demonstrate that um, they, they don't. And and they have, and they did the, diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff, which is newer, um, they failed completely at, obviously. So I'm wondering, like, what what is changing that suddenly WASC is, is dinging them and putting them on probation? <clears throat> because I just heard an interview with um, Dr. Daniel White-Hodge. He interviewed a current professor who was very brave to come on his podcast. Um, it's called Profane Faith. And he was saying the campus is now over 50% hispanic which blew my mind uh, but then i realized they they've been a hispanic serving institution since around know, 2011 or 12 mm-hmm. but the the knock on that is it's it, that really means uh hispanic enrolling not necessarily serving um mm. but so, yeah. Anyway, I'm just wondering, like something shifted because Wask is is on their asses hard, and it doesn't look like they're going to be
2: able to dig themselves out of it. I wouldn't be so sure. I wish. I I hope. <laughs> I hope that Wask holds them accountable. But unfortunately, under Donald Trump, the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, National Association of Evangelicals, and others, they lobbied again hard, and they got rules changed for accreditation that says. The accreditor will actually have its ability to accredit put in jeopardy if they do not respect the religious mission of the university as to all aspects of accreditation, including the DEI stuff. So, Mm. I hope WASP goes hard and holds them accountable, but I don't know that they will, and even if they do, APU could probably challenge it in court.
1: Yeah. The, the the double whammy for them is the money thing because they're they've apparently spent down their endowment you know um, which which no school mm. does you know um so anyway yeah, um, i this is yeah sorry i'm
0: ahead. i'm wondering if actually um it's one of the you know one of the strategies that paul and i have talked about and and have talked about i think we've thought about it for a few years now is accreditation complaints but they're just so hard and it's hard to find a student who knows the ins and outs of school policy who also would know the ins and outs of WASC policy because you have to know both um but i'm wondering if um if there were professors or staff who might may have filed accreditation complaints at apu um I wouldn't be surprised, you know, because I, I know that they were letting go of a lot of professors um, yeah. and <clears throat> things like that. So, and we've talked about it as this, like I said, as a strategy, you know, filing those complaints and alerting WASC, alerting the accreditors, like, hey, you know, this institution can't keep its financial house in order. How do you expect it to keep all other aspects of business in order? How do you expect it to uphold its fiduciary responsibilities to students? It's it's a good question. It's a valid question. And I wish these accreditors would investigate these schools more often. But like Paul said, there's still, you know, a lot of problems.
1: Yeah. Uh, It's very possible a professor or to complain because it's noted that professors who were interviewed for this accreditation process – talked about the board meddling with their, their curricul like their classes. Like mm. the acad- the yeah. board isn't meddling in the academics. And we all know what that Yeah, means, we do. Right?
0: We do. <laughs> um, I have a feeling so, I know which yeah. some of those professors are. I bet you yeah, anything right. they're in the school of theology. They're in the department of yeah. theology.
1: Yeah. It would have been global studies if it still existed, too, probably. Oh,
0: Um, those, too? Any any anti-racism things or, you know, stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, this part's hard. Um, I'll say this about supporting queer students. Uh, Professors and staff should stand up for their queer students. But they do have to weigh the cost, and, and not only to themselves and their own careers, but for the cost of the students. If... An affirming professor gets fired, like the two professors at Asbury, John Roller and Jill Campbell, who were fired shortly before the Asbury quote-unquote revival. Those professors will surely be replaced by professors with hardcore anti-queer beliefs. John Roller and Jill Campbell were likely invaluable supports for their students in a setting that is harmful and hostile to queer people. It's a horrible decision they have to make uh, to be cautiously supportive in the shadows or to be fired and therefore unable to be supportive at all. To be clear, I don't fault Aaron and Paul's anger at affirming professors, especially the ones who only cite their mortgages as the reasons for not taking a public stand. It's, it's way bigger than this, than that. But the sad reality is that the system is not safe for queer people and it's not safe for their allies. Short of just establishing and funding a pathway out of these schools for all LGBTQIA folks, the evangelical culture will continue to assault queer students and their allies. It's beyond fucked up. And the reality for a professor at an evangelical school is that there are likely no other jobs teaching at the university level for someone at a place like, you know, Azusa Pacific. Let's say a spot opens up at another university in, in your field of, of teaching. Cool. So an AP, APU prof then applies along with about 50 to 100 other professors from all over the world for that one spot. And coming from APU is hardly a prestigious notch on the old cv so asking a professor at an evangelical school to be publicly affirming is pretty much asking that professor to be to find a new career outside of academia which you know it's not not a bad idea academia kind of sucks not that being at an evangelical school is to be inside academia in the first place it's 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 barely there in the basement level of the ivory tower. So maybe not that much is being lost after all. As I said, it's all beyond fucked up in every way. And the only people who lose are the queer students and faculty and anyone willing to stand up for them. When I was about to be fired, I jokingly asked my boss (laughs) if if, uh, the department couldn't support me because I was taking a paycheck. You know, it's costing the school money. Um, they, the, the department had just openly supported a gay student who had won an award at the MLA conference. That's not a Christian conference. That's a National uh, Modern Language Association conference. And he, was, he wrote about being gay. The English department supported him. But my boss told me, we can support him. We can't support you. Because... I'm not bringing money into the school. In other words, I'm not a paying customer. Yeah. So all this just to say it's fucked up. Evangelical schools, man, I hope reap comes after you all and takes you down. Truly. Um, yeah. So let's, since we're talking about these, I, I, since I was on your site, I was reading back through the cases that you all have been a part of. Um, so, yeah, can you talk about, like, the process of how you decide to get involved and in maybe some of your, your war stories of that? Maybe a happy one. That you,
0: <laughs> happy story Happier.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: oh, that's, that's a good question.
2: There's a... The happy story, there are a lot of happy stories, um, but they and they, they come from the students, as you probably know yourself, Scott, and Zaren is seen. Um, the students are so incredibly inspiring and brave. Um, at SPU recently, we had a hearing in one of our cases, because um, I'm representing a group of students, faculty, and staff. They've sued the board of Seattle Pacific University, certain trustees, and a president over a bunch of deceptive shenanigans that they went through to preserve an anti LGBTQ hiring policy. And we had a hearing just in February, and 500 people showed up to that hearing, Scott. Yeah. That and... never has happened in my career. And I've had a lot of hearings. Um, yeah. That never happens. That energy, that commitment, yeah. it was palpable. And, Those experiences have felt more like church than anything else I've experienced other than church to me. And they don't happen that often, but there's something so, so comforting and that feels restorative about protests like that.
1: Yeah, it almost gives me hope. Almost. (laughs) It does. Students <laughs> are students are tired
0: of it. They're tired of this. They're Yeah. We we constantly get reached out to, you know, most I think most of the instances are because student groups are delegitimized. So they they they're not able to yeah. table on campus or they're not yeah. able to have any, you know, meet on campus and things like that as an LGBTQIA group. Um these students are not backing down and they know that they can come to us. They know that they they go to reap. You know, we're the only ones doing this work, and so I think they feel protected, and they feel it makes them feel safer. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I think you know, it's it's going to be revolutionized, like the <clears throat> what students are doing and how they're active. You know. What kinds of activism they're doing? What kinds of protesting they're doing? Um, in very different non-conventional ways. So I'm a, I'm super excited um, to be, you know, to see what happens, what unfurls this year in particular. Um, but yeah, they're so brave and so amazing. They're the yeah. highlight, you know, of of what we do. Definitely.
2: And we had a really cool thing happen um, this last year, which is of the CCCU schools, um, one of them that we had a plaintiff named in our Hunter lawsuit who went there, uh, Eastern University out in Pennsylvania. They flipped. They became affirming in just this last year. And it's not just because of REAP and the lawsuit. Really, that's just a small piece of it. It's the internal work that that school did for a long time and that's a victory. It's one school among hundreds, but we got to hang on to those little <laughs> those little rays of hope because it's kind of yeah. dark out I mean, there. Yeah.
1: But like, you know, to Aaron's point, maybe there's some momentum building because yeah. the way these evangelical schools work is that the, the students are paying customers. Um, the, you know, the the reason they have these draconian rules and regulations I don't you know, most of these staff and and administrators probably don't give a shit about whether their their students are LGBTQIA. It's it's the same money. (laughs) That's really all they care about. But they also know that their funding comes from very conservative groups who will pull their funding if they're seen as woke or um affirming. And so and so until until the tide changes and it becomes you know, less financially bad for them to to accept their students as they are. It, you know that's, and so things like Seattle—that's that was huge. I I, I th- uh, there was a great episode of the Veterans of Culture Wars podcast where they interviewed the professor and the student. I think she was like the lead plaintiff. One of the lead, one of the students who were involved, whose name was on the case, um, and I was just in, in awe of like, man, I wish there was something like that at, when I was at APU. Uh, but all the professors are too scared because there's no tenure and um,
2: and they, they use that fear <laughs> they, use, they yeah. use that fear and i have a real hard yeah. time with i have a real hard time with professors who claim to be allies but won't stick their neck out at all and yeah. as a queer student who was sent to conversion therapy at one of your schools you won't even stick your neck out for me that is a yeah. huge blemish on your witness, whatever witness you're trying to have. So I, my message for affirming faculty is stick your neck out, rise up a little bit. Yeah. These kids are doing it. If they can do it, you can do it too. And I think it's really important that the adults in the room act like adults and start supporting these kids because they need it. And the time is now. And yes, there's momentum building, Scott, but there is momentum and money on the other side, and they are cracking yep. down all over oh, yeah. the country. They are purging faculty and staff. They're purging board members. So yep. I think that if there's going to be any saving, the schools or getting more of them to change. It's going to require even more of a lift from allies and from adults.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, so like, remember Asbury a few weeks ago? They're having their their big spiritual orgasm for a couple of weeks.
0: Um, <laughs> oh, Scott!
1: It was orchestrated by Francis Chan, apparently. But oh, yeah, okay, uh, a random worship uh, was it called revival just erupted. Um, you know, everyone like an orgasm. Uh, everyone, yeah, yeah, maybe not two weeks, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh my God! I'm
2: that's, sorry. That's a much, we could delete yeah. that if necessary. Um, no, that's
0: great. Oh that's no, no, that's, that's
1: that's what people tune in for. What was I talking about? Asbury. Asbury um, revival. They had just they had just fired two professors, not for being queer, but for saying nice things about queer students and and being mm-hmm. supportive. Mm-hmm. They just fired them, and and so many people were like who aren't even christian were saying oh isn't that wonderful They're having this revival and look there's a black person and uh, oh there's a there's a queer person there you know so it's you know we can't be critical uh, of it and i'm like fuck asbury like until they fix that shit i don't care what they're doing and or how long they're doing it for especially if it ends with francis chan that's like a deal breaker right there but Yikes. it's like it's like man <sighs>
0: Yeah, I um, when I was at APU, I remember sitting in one of my professor's office, and um, I asked her because she she was explicitly affirming to me, like, and there were other professors in that department, like she co-taught with another professor one of my classes, and they were both affirming. And I asked her, you know, could you publicly say something? That would be nice. and she, she looked me right in the eye and said, we have mortgages. And I thought about him, like, you don't think these students are paying tens of thousands of dollars to go here or putting some sort of financial or monetary risk? Um, like, that? of course they are. Um, and, and from a biblical, a theological standpoint, it's pro- it's so problematic, you know? It was fascinating to me. It was just like, they, they'll privately do it, but they are scared, you know, lose tenure. And it's yeah. like, she probably already got fired anyway. I, You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah.
1: What, that, gonna say, Paul.
2: what that tells me is... You know, I, I can't say, uh, I'm struggling. <laughs> what it tells me is that capitalism has a stronger hold on people yeah. than their England. professed religion. And there's a not so fine line between being quietly supportive and being complicit. And I think yeah. a lot of them are complicit and they are getting checks and they are getting prestige and they are getting appointments based on the backs of people they know they are oppressing and they won't even say anything about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I heard a story about there's a, there's a local pastor who became affirming in the last 10 years or so. And he used to speak at APU's chapel. And once he became affirming, they stopped inviting him, but he he ran into one of APU's administrators who pulled him aside and said, will you please join our board of trustees? Because a lot of us on administration want to be affirming, but we can't until we change the board because we'll all be fired. And he said he was just amazed. see, a couple other names came up and it was just like, yeah. And to your point, it's still kind of cowardice. It's just like, you know, you're an administrator, you have power to to do something. Um, even little things, you know, like, like make it a little less shitty, but they won't even do that. Um, (laughs) so yeah. yeah it's pretty wild but, yeah you talked about it's, capitalism is yeah
2: well you talked about money scott and how you know the donors and all of that and, and it's true that there are big donors but the donors scott are a tiny percentage of the budgets of the schools the budgets of the mm-hmm. schools are almost all taxpayer money almost all of it just look at their financial reports it's government mm-hmm grants, it's government loans and grants, and it's state government loans and grants. And then the little bit of alumni giving, it's so tiny, it doesn't even matter. So that's why (laughs) we filed our Hunter lawsuit against the Department of Education, because they are the ones funding the discrimination. You just turn that spigot off, and these schools will fold overnight, almost all of them. They did it with race and discrimination based on in, uh, prohibitions on interracial dating and marriage, they changed almost overnight, but not until the government turned that money spigot off. So the government is really <laughs> the primary reason that these schools have not changed, because all the financial incentives are aligned for discrimination. Damn. You gotta turn that money spigot off. Yeah.
0: And I think a lot of folks, our audience, or not our audience, but a lot of people don't realize that their taxpayer money goes toward these institutions and funds the yeah. pipeline of discrimination in this way. They don't realize yeah. that. And when we tell them, they're like, what? And it's like, yeah, Hey, yeah. yeah, Your public money goes towards this open discrimination, you know, and you can do something about it. You can help us <laughs> fight the system, you yeah. know?
2: Yeah. Oh. And that's why the schools, they, um, they, what is it called? Yeah, they're like fighting over their weight class. What's that called? Like in uh, wrestling yeah. or something.
1: Punching above their weight class. Punching
2: yeah. above their weight. Sorry, homeschooling moment. Don't know all those references. Punching <laughs> above their weight class because there are not enough discriminatory churches giving them money. There are not enough discriminatory rich donors giving them their money. They would never be able to have these massive online campus, online programs and huge campuses but for our money, our money, taxpayer money, and we can't even go to the schools. How un American is that? Or maybe how American? I was going to say, yeah. how American? How is American that. is that, sadly? <laughs> yeah. Unfair, Damn. but American.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. The other thing is like the religious exemption thing. Like, can we just start a religion? Like the Temple of Aaron, <laughs> oh my and
0: God.
1: we all worship. We all worship Aaron. I'm down. And we have
0: the Temple uh, of we, Aaron. We need cool.
1: We need we need cool like costumes. Um, Everybody wears a
2: dad hat.
0: Everybody wears a dad yeah. hat in the Temple the dad, of Aaron.
1: Dad hat. And, <sighs> um, and then we can start like a, a school, and we and we can make whatever rules we want. We can say you know no no cis hat white evangelicals allowed and I'm,
0: um i'm all for this
1: and the, the and the government has to let us do this right because it's religion it's our religion mm-hmm. so hello friends do you have a minute i would love to share with you the wonderful news of Aaron green and her temple the temple of Aaron. do you feel weary of heteronormativity Are you sick and tired of the tyranny of cishet values and chick-fil-activism? The Temple of Aaron is here with a message of social justice with beanies and dad hats for everyone.
0: I was depressed and lonely in straight white spaces, but I found love and acceptance at the Temple of Aaron. Most importantly, I learned how to fuck up patriarchal and heteronormative systems. And I love my dad hat.
1: Before the Temple of Aaron, I had no direction in life, and I kept finding myself shopping at Kohl's and Old Navy. But now, I wear a beanie, and I know what I'm here on this earth to do. I'm here to fuck shit up, and I've never felt a greater sense of purpose. So join our movement. Find yourself. Fuck shit up put on the dad hat of righteousness as long as it isn't red yeah fuck that but be part of our movement for justice and inclusion praise be to Aaron. i mean could jesus rock a beanie i think not do they have to prove the validity of the religion to be able to enforce this or is it just they just say it's my religion
2: they have to say that it is their religion.
1: Uh, that's all they have to do and do it is there ever a theological debate because there are a lot of Christians that are affirming <laughs> and so when 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 evangelical school says to wask, no, we need to fuck over the the queer kids because that's my religion. Can't someone say, "Hey, counterpoint, I'm a Christian too, and that's not what the Bible says in my estimation. Does that ever happen?
2: They cannot because what the government looks to is who, or sorry, is what does the highest religious authority of the school have to say? And that religious authority is either the denomination that owns them or appoints their board, or, and this is like this novel argument they're trying to make, or it's the board is the religion itself. That's what they are arguing now. The board is the religion and what they say Goes as a final pronouncement.
1: Boardism. bordism, <laughs> bordology. I'm a, I'm a boardist. So that's what that's what the SPU kids sued for, right? Is because the the SPU tried to say, well, our 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 people said this is okay to do, so so fuck everybody else. So it's
2: it's a little different. It's in that case, it's the board said, hey we're going to let the campus community participate in a process to decide whether to overturn our hiring policy. And it's on the table. It's an on the table option to overturn it. Well, they did so well that the board was going to vote to overturn it. But then what a couple of the really bad actors did is they then went to the denomination and they got the denomination to do some pronouncement which actually affects APU too, because APU is affiliated with the free Methodist church and doing that pronouncement, they undermined the whole board process and they basically made it into a farce so that there was not, there wasn't uh, a chance. Yeah. So it's, it's actually more well-played SPU. Well-played, well played. but also but very unethical. It. Yeah.
1: yeah. No, that's shitty. That's.
2: ugh. But you know they're going down in flames too. They have no money. Like people are leaving the school yeah. because it's been exposed as yeah. as hateful and news. unkind. Yeah. <laughs> but
1: they'll get they'll get you know the the kids that don't get into Liberty or Bob Jones will will end up there. Um, uh,
0: I think they would let anybody in the Liberty, anybody under the sun. I mean, I was going to say,
1: is there even an application process?
0: <laughs> I mean, you, not for the Liberty,
1: online program. They
0: pay you know? you to go there at Liberty. Well,
1: I, I hate gay people and minorities. Can it come in? Yeah. You're in.
0: They'll still, you know, these schools, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're queer. Like we talked about this a little bit earlier on the podcast. Like these schools just want your money. They will court anybody under the sun. You know, they don't – they just want your funds. Um, And then once you get there and then you figure out, you know, you're 21 years old and then you figure out you're gay or queer, trans, non-binary, whatever, then you're screwed. And then your family's not affirming. You have nowhere to go, you know. But, I mean, and that's – it's not all doom and gloom. Like, we're here. REAP is here, you know, to help someone like that. So – Yeah,
2: and a message that I always started with and I wish was said to me, and I don't know, maybe people listening to your podcast aren't in this headspace anymore, but if there are people out there who are still struggling with it, just you you really are not alone. It it feels like you're alone, but but you're not. And there are so many of us who want to come alongside you in whatever way we can. So, you know, reach out to REAP, reach out if you're, you know, on a campus that is treating you poorly. Find those safe faculty members, find the underground group, or contact Aaron and, and they'll help you find them. Um, because there's good people out there.
0: And if you go to yeah. Biola, everyone else is gay too, so it's, just, <laughs> it's the gayest school I've ever been to. So, uh, everybody's oh, gay. Okay. Biola. I,
1: I thought APU was pretty gay. And, so you know, gay. Not, APU is so gay. I'm not gay. saying that pejoratively, I just was just like. Uh, Smith Hall is like nudity is community everyone's like spooning each other and it's like a beautiful thing like I what, love it. don't say stop saying no homo and just go with it and you know just go with it. live your life you know it, it's fun we
0: had a um strike out queer phobia protest um in October for national coming out day and I went to APU's version of that or their participation in that so many queer people showed up from APU. It was the most beautiful thing ever. Grace Baldridge Semler came and sang. It was glorious. So yes, there there are so many queer people at these schools. It's it's just unreal, and it's you know.
2: Well, you know why it feels that way because it is that way. We we have the data. Um, before we filed our lawsuit two years ago, we hired a firm to do a survey, and they surveyed thousands of students, and they found that there were just as many queer students at Christian, conservative, evangelical colleges as all the other colleges. There's not a difference in the that's numbers. And students
1: who are answering honestly.
2: Right, <laughs> um, right. Yeah. But the big difference is they're a lot more closeted, or they're only yeah. out to a few people, comparatively. Okay. Oh, they they asked for that. Yeah, we asked about are you out to anyone or if you are, how many um, and who. So we have all that data and, you know, there's there's a lot of queers out there and, um, you know, some of them are out and proud now, which is so awesome that that's the one benefit of culture becoming more affirming is they can't do as extreme of violence to us like they used to. They can't get away with that anymore. And so more people can come out. But there's still a lot of people hiding, even in 2021 when we did the survey. There's, there's like half of the queer students were either out to nobody or just to like one to three people.
1: I mean, it's it's a, it's a tough process in the best of circumstances often, too. So it's just that those, in those settings, it's got to be so many things terrifying. Um, yeah. So if it's not the money from donors, because... When when Aaron talked about when you they, they got the prohibition against same sex relationships out of the handbook, the thing that I read was like churches like Saddleback and you know local churches immediately wrote, I don't know angry letters. They're, they're old old guys, so they probably literally wrote out a letter and put it in the mail. <clears throat> How dare you, sir? APU, do this. So it, it seems like money is the main thing, but also just like good standing in your evangelical communities also a factor so it's not maybe i overstated it's not just money it's you, you want to be in good with your your people's
0: yes which is yeah. also problematic theologically <laughs>
1: yeah no <laughs> so, assume i'm assuming that I mean, yeah of course that's clearly
0: a, that's a problematic uh, thing that i think jesus talked about a couple times you know <laughs> your reputation and all that stuff um yeah it totally happened the i think it was albert moeller too did some sort of talk or discussion on the removal of the policy it really pissed a lot of people off in the christian world you know um but again (laughs) like what's so cool about that like we pissed a bunch of christians off and we were just this little rinky dink you know trio of activists trying to make something happen at brave commons and we did it we did that you know like we scared the yeah. shit out of those people and we took away their power even if they like tr- reinstated it or whatever we pulled the rug out from under their feet and they had to like Figure it out, you know? So it goes to show that, you know, you take these these things apart brick by brick by brick. That's how the process works. It's not a burn, burn the whole thing down. There are people in the room. Tori Douglas talks about this all the time. It's just a piece yeah. by piece dismantling. And it works, you know? It just do, takes time. Do you
1: both have hope that there's an end to this? Or do you see this as a fight? that you'll be fighting for the rest of your lives for Mm -hmm. generations. I guess I'm asking, do do you you foresee a future where you don't need REAP?
2: Not anytime soon. I think I foresee, yeah, I was actually looking at some of my, I made predictions like 10 years ago when I first started this. (laughs) (laughs) I was looking at them and some of them are coming true in a lot of ways, but I think what's going to happen is you're going to see universities on the coasts and in the blue states that are conservative they're not going to make it financially because there's just not enough right students anymore so that's why like the enrollments are dropping at a lot of christian colleges in blue states where yeah. the enrollment is bloom is not blooming the enrollment is going through the roof at in the christian colleges in some of the southern states and in the conservative states So I think you're gonna see that reorientation, which is happening throughout the country anyway, with the way that the Supreme Court is going, blue states and red states are gonna have very different ways of living, um, very different rights, very, 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 very different, even more than they are now. So I think that's gonna happen. Um, I think some schools will become progressive, but a lot of them are just gonna clamp down until the money is turned off. And why do I think this? Because I read desegregating private higher education in the south, which was an amazing book out there. And they talked about the religious schools went through this in the 50s, 60s and 70s. They went through the, all the board and the alumni. I'm not going to donate if you let a black student in there. I'm not going to donate it if you're letting white and black. My kid date a black kid. Well, they huffed and they fussed, and then they all folded as soon as the government and the big foundations, like Ford Foundation, and a bunch of those big foundations, they all turned the money off. Bam. Except for Bob Jones and a few others. They took longer to fold. And there will be some of those, probably Bob Jones, probably Liberty, probably Cedarville, probably some of the most conservative will stay that way for, for decades. Yeah. And that's,
1: that's their draw. That's their, that's, that's their selling point. Yep.
2: And then it'll be actually more, I said, punching above their weight, right? Once the money shifts and all of that settles, then they'll be punching at their real weight. And so instead of having 200 colleges with millions of enrolled students, there will be like a dozen and they'll be small and they won't be hurting as many people. So that's, that's what I hope eventually happens.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I, I I think reap will I will be around for a while. Like the need is there, um, and that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. So, but I do have a lot of hope in our youth and these students. The
3: Absolutely. generations are
0: changing. <laughs> Thank God, the kids are all right. Like they know what's up. And they know that this is not okay. Um, So that's what I'm excited about is the, you know, this revolution that's potentially going to unfurl very soon here. So um, I have hope for sure. But yeah, I mean, this is a, a legacy thing, right? Like all, all activists, um, have elders and ancestors who came before them and we do we do too you know and like that's the, it'll the legacy will just keep going on and different and different manifestations I think of the work so I'm I'm just proud to be a part of a piece of that um, alongside some really beautiful and amazing folks it's a pretty pretty uh, big privilege and honor to do that
1: it is. Yeah. I'm just so, I, I'm a cynical person. I admit it. Um, but I look for reasons to have hope. And when I think, when I see what you all are doing, it gives me, it does give me hope because I, I've, I've been in the classrooms and I've seen the faces of kids who are marginalized and who, who hate their identities. And a lot of that's, um, some of that, some of that is, is racial Mm-hmm. or or gender in those settings um but man the queer kids got hammered in those settings so many have said they had suicidal ideation and depression and um and that's and, yeah yeah i i write in my book <laughs> that um it's it, it it was definitely a factor in keeping me there and keeping me um You know, to to Paul's earlier point, I I was a coward at first when I was young. I was new. I would let it. I would slide into my lectures that I thought it was okay. At first, I would say, "I have gay friends," and I would even get like some side eye at that, some shade thrown at me for that. And then, as I got more bold, I would expose more. And eventually, when I realized I don't think I was going to make it here. Um, about halfway through, oh for sure. When I lost all my faith, um, I was just like, "Fuck it, yeah." Like, this is these kids are hurting; <laughs> they're suffering. Um, so many kids were coming out to me um, mm-hmm. after class or in the halls or the coffee shop because mm-hmm. they didn't have anyone they could talk to, and it was just like, "Man, this is the fact that they have to turn to to this old cis hat Japanese American dude." To have someone to talk to just speaks volumes about how fucked up the place is. <laughs> it's like, and we had to whisper. We had to be very, dis, you know, disc, discreet. And yeah.
0: So me.
1: the fact that you all are making it visible and, and making it and bringing lawsuits and and being in the media, so great, so great.
2: I'm, I'm honored you. to just be hanging with y'all.
0: Thank you. Thanks. We and, are too, Scott.
2: Absolutely. And thank you for being that person for as long as you were. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, you were there for a long time longer than a lot of people could have taken it and you made a big difference. So thank you for that.
1: Oh, uh, thanks. I think it made a difference in a few, which <laughs> just, just like catcher in the rye or something. Just couldn't help them all. But yeah, um, the including few- like the Asian kids and the, and the, and the, the BIPOC kids, yeah. um, it's a tough, tough place. Um, for everyone, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, but yeah. Here's to y'all. This keep kicking ass. I'm gonna put all the links in the show notes. If people awesome. Don't donate. You, and be involved. Thank you. Thank you,
2: Scott. We'll keep bringing the fight. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So let's. Uh, if I have a season four, I'll have you guys on to up- update any okay. any ass kickings you've administered. Cool. To, <laughs> some we
0: mm-hmm. would love to keep you updated on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, thanks, y'all. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Scott.
1: OK, I know what you're thinking. Scott needs help working on taking a compliment. I, I think I'm still better than Brad Onishi at that. But yeah, I'm working on it. But really, the bar is so low at evangelical schools for human decency. And it was, it was an honor to be there for my students, all of them, for many reasons. But it was especially significant to bear witness to a student's real-life struggles with their sexuality. They were struggling when they shouldn't have been struggling. But they were struggling because they lived in a system that could only oppress and harm them. The few of us on faculty who were entrusted with the secrets, we were the fortunate ones. And now with Aaron and Paul bringing the repeat those students are seen, heard, and advocated for on a national scale. And that's fucking awesome. Aaron and Paul are fucking awesome. Now, as we wrap up Pride Month, go to REAP's website. It's in the show notes. Give them your money. <laughs> we talked about the shitty capitalism that rules our world, and money makes or breaks you know, everything. But we can empower REAP to continue Aaron's mission of fucking shit up in regards to these religious exemptions, which are simply loopholes for bigotry and oppression for queer students, faculty, and staff. Let's do something. So thanks to REAP, thanks to Aaron and Paul. They're like so many guests I've had. They're just heroes of mine. And I just... Admire them, and I'm inspired by everything that they do. So we'll be back next week with another episode of Chapel Probation.